The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. To the house, This is unbelievable. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. It's Monday afternoon, July 6th. Hope you had a, uh, a good holiday weekend. And we got a lot of recruiting news to get through. It's become a... And a big time like recruiting calendar uh, event, the 4th of July. We'll, uh, we'll, of course, dig into that more. We've also got the, a report from our for our resident Ivy League correspondent. Uh, we'll tell you what that means, including what the impact might be on the college football season. Plus, uh, a, a listener question that required even more attention than just one mailbag segment. So... Uh, I believe it is Seth. Seth, uh, you you wrote a lot and you gave us a good idea, and we're going to run with this, and we're going to try to help finish what uh, what the uh, what the reviews wouldn't let you finish. But first, gentlemen, uh, as we as we dive into this week, how are we feeling? Feeling good. Um, I guess on my end, I've I have really appreciated the user feedback. For, to try to enrich my, my music listening along the way. Um, I, I, I've gotten, so what was my guy's name? Like Jeff Birkenstock? Rosenstock. Last, last Rosenstock or something. Rosenstock. Jeff Rosenstock. That one was a, a much appreciated, but wasn't really my thing. Um, and, and on second listen after our last week's podcast, I actually liked it a little better than I remembered, but still not something I'm going to listen to regularly. But I appreciated the effort. This time around, I got uh, from a from one of our Canadian listeners, one of our friends up north. Uh, he Here. passed on. He he passed on Dreamcatcher, which is a K a, a female K-pop group. In particular, he he recommended the song Scream. I sent it to you guys. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to it or not. I. Did some Dreamcatcher listening while I was working today. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. So I appreciate that. I don't think it's going to go into regular rotation, but it gets a not bad from me. If it like this is actually like really exciting that we're getting some decent 
review, like responses here. If you can give me a five-star review and give me a band that I've never heard of before that's legitimately really good, then you're going to get a lot of Cover 3 love. So please keep them, keep them coming. Yeah, and you're not asking for really good. You're asking for pretty good. You're asking for like, asking will for, inter- yeah, get, entertain get in the me. Rotation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So is the K-pop in the rotation? I don't know. Like It's close. I think the song that he recommended, I think my guy's name was Seth. Was that or is that the guy you just talked about? That was the guy. He's uh that was that was for the COVID realignment. Um the song Scream, I was kind of feeling. This the 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 video was was pretty out there. Um Clint Carlson, that's my guy, Clint Carlson. Clint Carlson hit me up with this with this K pop group with a with a long explanation, almost like apologetic in the preamble that like I'm I know I'm gonna like recommend K pop here, but trust me. And it did okay. It did okay. I, I would imagine that you do have to, you've got to come in with a preamble, you know? I, that's like as, as much of a global force as K-pop has become, uh, I would still, if I was writing a recommendation to Barton Simmons, esteemed former linebacker, former safety at Yale, that I, I would na- need to really like let you in. I think what... Clint doesn't realize is how open-minded you are to this musical exploration. I'm very open-minded. You know, my favorite, maybe one of my favorite groups of, of all time is a group that I still don't know that anyone really knows outside of like, I'm sure people, have you ever, y'all heard of D'Antward? No. It's a, no. it's a South African um, rap, like hip hop um, Kind of uh, techno or what are these? What do they call it? Like electro? I don't know. What you call EDM. It. I don't even know this. I don't even. I don't even know the genre. It's spelled D D I E. Antword. It's just A N T W O O R D. Google the song "Enter the Ninja." I promise you, you won't be disappointed. This dude is awesome. So Enter. I like stuff like that. <laughs> I don't have the sound playing yet, but we've got the. All right, that's probably as much as we can play before we get it. Yeah, I was, I was, I was, all right. Just, just trust me. Yeah. Just and watch the video. Okay, this guy is awesome. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking at. Uh, no shirt, gold chain, and uh, nice little headband situation, right? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 kind of off the wall, but it's it literally like it's one of my favorite. It's, it's one of my go to listens, and that's the kind of discovery that I want. I've been listening to a lot of British rap lately. Oh, grime. Kinda, yeah. Nice. Uh, there's a pretty good Netflix show called Top Boy, which is like a British version of The Wire. Uh huh. That got me into some British rap. So, anyways. My music exploration is wide open, guys. Nice. You know what gets me into British rap? What? The f- playing FIFA because like half the FIFA soundtrack that you hear constantly while you're playing is like British rap songs. Mm. So, and there's some of them that I was like, "Hey, this song's awesome." I've added them to my Spotify playlists. Shazam that thing. Stick mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I need to get back down into British rap. It's it's been a minute. Are, we're gonna be a Stormzy pod. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, ooh, I haven't, I haven't <laughs> like gotten into that since uh, Skepta came out with like Shutdown, like what six years ago or something like that. And I got did like my full, uh, my full dive into it. But 
Uh, nice. So that recommendations for everyone, including Barton Simmons, keep them coming. Barton, I didn't realize that the 4th of July had become such a massive recruiting event uh, across the third and the fourth, or maybe even just on the fourth, I've got 29 commitments that came through. Many of them were high profile players. Before we start to break down some of them, including uh, the Caleb Williams announcement that we previewed on Friday's podcast, he did end up committing to Oklahoma. Uh, why do you, th- is that is that a this year thing? Or is that a uh, a growing trend of these high school players deciding to use the uh, the national holiday as an opportunity to drop their big recruiting news. Just trying to trying to pull the recruiting reporters away from the family. Just one <laughs> one more time. It's uh, it's been it's become a hot day, especially this year. It's just it's almost this year is almost like all right, like I guess nothing's gonna happen. Got to got to make a decision. Sometimes uh, July Fourth sounds right. Um, it was yeah, it was a very busy day. The number one quarterback in the country for the second time in three years is heading to Oklahoma. The last time it happened was Spencer Rattler. He will be the starting quarterback, I assume, this year. Um, this time was Kayla Williams, and uh, he was the story of the day. But yeah, I mean, my guys at twenty four seven crushed it. Steve Wolfong and Gabe Brooks and. Greg Biggins and Alan True and all those guys were all over the news all day long. There was a lot of it. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was a busy day. Uh, and and I, this kind of feels like another Oklahoma class where they're loading up on offensive talent, offensive skill, um, led by the quarterback position, similar to what they did a couple years ago. Well, again, with Spencer Rattler t- stepping into the starting role this year and like Jaden Hazelwood and Trajan Bridges and Austin Stockner and all these really talented receivers around him you know this is going to be year two for that crowd and i think you'll see a lot of them make some plays uh as well so um really big day for oklahoma now did you have to do hq for it i did i did yeah see fortunately we were in a pandemic so i wasn't going to go anywhere anyways (laughs) but uh, yes Yeah, because I, I had to do the post for the site, and you know i had to update it once the announcement was made and i just want to say caleb if you're listening i wish you nothing but the very best but please let this be the last time you make a decision that includes <laughs> making your announcement at 9 p.m. Eastern on a holiday weekend. But that's the, for those, it was well, for those it was of well us. orchestrated. It was literally he had like As the fireworks, fireworks popping yep. in the background of the video. Like it was it was pretty fantastic, but it was very inconsiderate for us media folks. Mm hmm. All right, so I've got and about want good coverage. <laughs> CBSSportsHQ.com. We got it for you. Uh, I've got 12 four stars or better though. I think they're all four stars except for Caleb Williams who committed over the 4th of July weekend. So first one, a single out a couple of them. And the first one wide receiver, Keon Coleman commits to Kansas. This is a four star wide receiver who, according to his current 24 seven sports rating, I mean, could end up being one of the higher rated prospects for Kansas football. So how, you know, like we talked a little bit about Kansas as one of the early programs to be out in front uh, discussing the ways that they're trying to make connections with recruits, even in a pandemic. I remember we talked about them as one of the examples that we had of doing their their virtual junior day and, and trying to find the best way possible to be able to build that class as they are already fighting an uphill battle being Kansas football, uh, in addition to everything else that came with the pandemic. What is 
is the commitment of Keon Coleman. Uh, we always discuss momentum on the recruiting trail. Is this something that is a individual uh, story, or do you think that this is something uh, that is that is positivity for Les Miles, a head coach who we've been looking for uh, ways that he might be able to have his impact on that staff? Is it that staff? Like, is this something where there was an obvious connection for Keon Coleman to go to Kansas, or was this a real win for the Jayhawks on the trail? This is a win. Oklahoma wanted him, uh, and and he is. If you pull up his his film, he had he plays small ball football, not a good level of competition, but he had, I think, twenty two touchdown catches on twenty two touchdowns on thirty five catches. Uh, in the ball. He had, <laughs> he had uh, he had seven interceptions. Um, he had, and if you watch his basketball film, he is way above the rim in basketball. In fact, he's going to play basketball at Kansas as well, which I think was a was a part of this. That's Bill Self gave him an assist on this one. Um, but no, this is, I think uh, he's from Louisiana. Les Miles has some pull there. Basketball, uh, Bill Self helping out, uh, the kind of the energy they have around the program right now, just sort of right time, right place sort of deal. I think that's a huge win. And they also have a, a running back, uh, out of, out of Lawrence committed, a local kid who I think is one of the best running backs in the country. So, um, Kansas, absolutely. This is, this, this is the type of pickup that, that Les Miles needs to get if he's going to start turning this around he's not going to do it with a bunch of mid three-star guys and i think that this is the kind of guy that is is an impact player yeah according to the 24 7 database he's the third highest rated recruit in the program's history he's higher rated than puka was Mm. it's big talk right there uh speaking of lsu we also had a pair of four stars commit wide receiver chris hilton as well as the defensive end keanu coat the keanu coat was from florida and where was chris hilton from are they both out of state exactly that's louisiana state ah uh so what's it for is that is that a hold that tiger what's the lsu vibe on the recruiting trail right now as they continue to build out that class those are monster gets. Uh, Keanu Coat was was one of the most highly sought after defensive edge guys in the class, um, and Chris Hilton is a uh, is like a legit four three guy, legit like elite elite athlete. I think I think LSU has like three of the top ten receivers in the country committed, um, and and they're going for another one who's another in state kid and and uh, Brian Thomas who's really good. So uh, this was I think the biggest splash pair. LSU, like this is this was a huge weekend for LSU getting those two guys in, and it's sort of LSU sort of right back in the top five, sort of right where they belong or right where they have been. Um, so big, yeah, big gifts for them. What about the uh, so if they're building out the wide receivers, what does that quarter quarterback room look like right now for LSU as we project forward? Do we think that Miles Brennan is going to be able to? Uh, continue to take advantage of of all that because the the idea of loading up on elite wide receivers to be able to propel the offense moving forward definitely suggests that all of the lessons and all of the good things that happened for LSU's offense in 2019 certainly were foundational in a way where that is going to be Coach O's plan moving forward. Yeah, I think it suggested that resonated and that 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 kids believe that this is going to continue. I think Miles, that's up to Miles Brennan now to continue to. Uh, re-emphasize that point, drive that home, continue to, to allow that to resonate on the, the recruiting trail. You know, I think beyond Miles Brennan, and he's got two years of eligibility remaining, I believe. Um, 
So then you got Max Johnson, who is a true freshman coming in, Brad Johnson's son, uh, along with TJ Finley, who was a uh, kind of a big, strong arm, raw quarterback coming in. So those guys are the next up with Garrett Nussmeyer uh, as their their current 2021 quarterback committed, which is who is a kind of a Miles Brennan ish player. Um, so I think they're in good shape for the future at the quarterback position. But I do think we are back to a spot where like nothing is guaranteed at quarterback. It's not as if they've got Trevor Lawrence in their quarterback room right now or Justin Fields or even Spencer Rattler. There's we're, We are now in a wait-and-see approach to kind of what is going to happen at the quarterback position moving forward for LSU. All right. Now it's 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 time to go ahead and go to uh, go to our Ivy League correspondent because a uh, bit of news out on Monday as the Athletic was um, among the outlets reporting that there is expectations of an announcement on Wednesday in which the Ivy League will move all fall sports, including football, to spring 2021. Now the questions uh, that have rippled throughout the day on and on on the college sports level has been, you know, will there be close attention paid to this announcement? Yes, but will it be the beginning of a trend? Uh, you know, of note here is that Ivy League does uh, doesn't have necessarily does not have the same stakes that the Power 5 conferences do at least in terms of their media rights and their um, commitment to putting on a fall season. The Ivy League also what is FCS as opposed to FBS and you know the Ivy League also could be able to pull this off with just a conference only rotation and, and be able to you know maybe not have as many uh, contracts get changed and everything else the Ivy League was also the first conference to cancel its basketball tournaments it's a basketball tournament that was somewhat new but and only a 14 basketball tournament but the first conference to make that move so Barton Simmons, Ivy League correspondent, are is the Ivy League about to be the first domino yet again, as it was in basketball, or do you believe that this is um, going to be more of a standalone incident? Again, no announcement has been made, though the expectation is that on Wednesday it will be announced that the football will be moved to the spring. And also, how do you feel about it as a former All-Ivy League player? So... <clears throat> There's a couple things to to make to educate our listeners on Ivy League football. It is a it is a ten game season, ten week season with no bye weeks. There, the Ivy League does not participate in the postseason in football. No bowl games. They're not eligible for college ball playoffs. The Ivy League presidents have decided that the only thing that matters is Ivy League championships. Why would we even care about competing outside of the 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 lofty, prestigious Ivy League competition. It's a gentleman's sport. Everyone else is the are the heathens out there. So, in, in a way, like this is because of what happened with the basketball tournament, and because this is the first official announcement coming. And let's just assume it's going to be we're pushing to the spring. Uh, we don't know that as a fair fact, but that seems to be where we're what, what the the smoke is telling us. So. Yes, like then you're like, okay, well, if Ivy League's doing it, we should follow. It, that opens the door for other other schools and, and leagues to follow. 
But here, but the thing is, the again, the Ivy League can do this because the Ivy League has isolated themselves from the rest of the college football world anyway. You know, the worst case scenario, the Ivy League doesn't even play their non-conference games, and they just play each other like a round robin, uh, seven week season, and you're done, and then you're you know you accomplish whatever you're going to accomplish anyways in terms of just finding out your Ivy League champion. Secondly, what if the Ivy League is the only uh, league playing in the spring? If anything, that's a good thing for the Ivy League in a lot mm. of ways. It like how hungry have we been to watch sports, bet on sports, see sports? If the Ivy League is the only show in town in football, I, I don't think that that's now. Don't get me wrong; like I don't think that's driving the decision. But I'm just saying, what what is there to lose? Like there really is nothing for the Ivy League to lose by pushing things to the spring. That is not at all the case in some of these other leagues. So I, I, I'm, I'm almost indifferent on whether they push. I hope they don't because I, I, I'm worried about what that could mean for everyone else. But um, I also acknowledge that the Ivy League is going to be the Ivy League in the fall or the spring. I can't believe you forgot to mention the most important thing about all this. By playing in the spring, you reduce the chance of the sun going down during the fourth quarter and not being able to finish the game. If the game is disrupted by protesters? Yes. That's okay, because Yale is fully equipped to win games in the dark. We've already seen that in the Yale-Harvard game this year. I, would, I mean, all right, so Tom, we're, we're, as, we, as we look at the next piece of this, because um, I, I, I'm not sure if I've explicitly shared this, but when the... I was in Greensboro for the ACC tournament as it was about to get canceled. And the final domino ultimately was Duke university saying, we aren't going to send our team. Florida States and Clemson were out on the court. Their athletic directors were like, all right, you know, there's not going to be any fans here in the building. We've already announced that, but you know, commissioner Swafford, ACC officials, if y'all still want to go through with this, we're still comfortable going through with it. Florida state and Clemson were going to play a quarterfinal game at noon on Thursday and Duke was scheduled to play in the 2.30 game, and Duke University said, nope, we're not sending our team, and that was the domino. And so it creates this interesting dynamic where within these conferences, there is something going on in the room where if one school were to step forward and say, y'all can do what you want, but we are out, the rest of the league would have an option. It would have a decision to make as to whether or not they would want to move forward. Uh, you know, listen to John Swafford. I believe about three weeks ago on a press conference, and you know, he had actually it was the beginning of June uh, on a Zoom press conference, and he was discussing the idea that yes, the ACC, if schools wanted to move forward and other schools did not, he imagined that those schools that wanted to move forward and have ACC football would have ACC football, even if it it didn't include all of the schools. So like, do we, do we expect in the next coming weeks that there is going to be a major power five universities that are going to step forward and be the first, uh, if they do decide to step forward and be the first to say, y'all can do what you want. We're not playing who falls in line there and follows them, and if that's the case, at what point do these conferences start having to make tough decisions about whether trying to follow the Ivy League's uh, example or whether just to plow on uh, as scheduled? I I don't 
know for sure, but I do think that the next couple of weeks are going to be crucial for everything. I think that by the last week of July, we'll probably know one way or the other what we're likely to do because just with the way cases are rising across the country right now if that doesn't start ebbing soon then it's really hard to imagine that they're going to be playing in the fall and then i think if you look at what's happening with major league baseball right now and the nba where they're kind of ramping up and getting ready to come back but we're seeing problems with like a lot of some players opting out and then in MLB right now, there's been a ton of problems with the testing already. And it's like, you know, you're just getting started and you're already having these kinds of problems. If we're in a situation where like the professional leagues are having a really difficult time being able to figure something out about how to do this correctly and safely, they're not going to. I mean, just from a PR standpoint, imagine what it's going to turn into with college unpaid athletes, especially when there's 130 teams and there's 100 players per team compared to like 30 NBA teams and 15 guys on a roster. So I don't know what the answer is. I think that there are some people who are already convinced we're going to get pushed to spring. I think they're a little too pessimistic. There are some people who don't think, I think everybody else is overreacting. I think they're a little too optimistic. I think there's a very real chance at this point, just reading the tea leaves and looking at everything going on, that football, at vi- at the very least, will be pushed back. But if they are going to push it back, it's going to make far more sense just to say, okay, screw the fall semester, go straight to the spring. Because if there's going to be a quote-unquote second wave, and you know we're not even out of the first one yet, it's going to be in those late fall, early winter months. So to think, okay, well, we could just have the season then, that would be kind of dumb thinking. So I would say... At this point, I feel like it's probably a lot closer to 50-50 than most people want to realize. I don't feel comfortable uh, trying to predict what's going to happen in terms of waves or spikes. I feel like that is like wildly um, out of my control. But I can, you know, fall camp is supposed to start at the end of the month. And if anything, if there are any hiccups with the NBA uh, getting its late July start or Major League Baseball getting its late July start, then I I cannot imagine that there's going to be a situation where the college football is going to be ready to start slobbering all over each other and getting out there and hitting and having fall camp. And fall camp, you know, fall camp's supposed to start like in earnest, like a a four-week fall camp supposed to start here uh, in a few weeks. And right now, I don't know for most of the country if that would be something that even local health officials would advise. And it's like these are sports that, you know, like if you look at the American sports going right now are golf and NASCAR. And those are sports that are individual sports for the most part. I mean, NASCAR, you have racing teams, but you're able to, you know, distance yourself from everybody else. And you're not like rubbing up on other people. Golf is a solitary game. Football, basketball. Baseball, to a certain extent, these are not sports where, you know, you can avoid contact and being close to people. So it's it's going to be far more difficult for that to happen in those sports. There's, things have to be going very much in the right direction and have to, you know, waning for this for this to have a realistic shot of working on time as scheduled. And like I said, the, the way the numbers are right now. It doesn't look to be going that way, and it's that's why I think the next few weeks are going to be critical. If we see the spike and it start to dip and start dropping again, then optimism will start creeping in. But until you see that, it's hard to be very optimistic. 
How's your head, Barton? I don't know, man. How's your heart hurt? I mean, I, look, I, I am a um, wear, wear a mask. Like, just you know, wear a mask. That's not too much to ask. If if the if the people that are making decisions are telling us to wear masks, then let's wear masks. Um, because that's that 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 you know whatever. I, I will say like that. I just I I I also acknowledge I don't want to I don't know I don't know I don't know like that's the problem is we don't. <laughs> it's know. okay to say that. Yeah, yeah we okay. don't know. And 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 all of the like yes like my my hunch is that healthy people are fine like that seems to be what the data is telling us that healthy people are fine and I understand that that's a little bit of a that that's not a blanket statement because um, you know we're we're if you have I, I know that like I talked to a coach that has mentioned you know players on their team have sickle cell and and like that's. How, how does this affect that? And like, there's some unknowns and there's even coaches on the staff that are, um, you know, older and like, how is that, you know, how are they impacted? How are they supposed to be safe? Yeah. And, like, I mean, Von Miller has asthma. Like he was a yeah. Super Bowl MVP, but he has asthma and he also contracted COVID. Yeah. So, so there are some, there are, yeah. So like, there's some things that there's some unknowns that, and there's some risk there, but I, I mean, I, all, I, all I can do is just like be honest about like how I am perceiving all of this, which is to say, seems like if you're young and healthy, you this is not a this is not a dangerous disease to you, um, and so it would be in, 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 from that perspective, like it would be really frustrating if we aren't able to play, given that information. And now here come my you know my mentions. My my Twitter mentions. Well, I mean, like I don't angry think emails, but like I'm just saying, like that's just like that. That is how I like look at this in a from a very detached like like perspective of uh, just trying to view this objectively. Like when I hear players say, "I want to play," and parents of players are saying, "We want him to play. We acknowledge risks. Football is a risk." And I'm just chip, you know, sitting over here like I, okay, all right. You know, that's, I'm, I'm not the, I'm, I'm not, I'm glad I am glad I am not uh, an athletic director or a conference commissioner right now because you have to weigh what public health experts are suggesting, what your university president feels the financial implications of both having and not having a season and for what I have seen for the most part to be a community of players and families of players who want to move on, who want to like move forward with this. Like there are parents of college students who are feeling a little bit iffy uh, about you know, what it's going to be like sending their children, but they're still going to go to campus. Like my, my concerns for the season are probably as tied to the university campus community. And when like, I hate that in a radio hit, I've been asked to talk about whether I think we're going to have a college football season as if it is gambling on the college football playoff. Like, Oh, you think, what do you got? What kind of odds are you going to give me chip? What's it going to be like? Like th that is asking me to consider public health of the country and just sort of just spit out an answer. Like, I don't like that at all. 
I, when I am like asked to play this out, the scenario that I often lay out is that out of 130 FBS universities, I can't imagine, given the state of this virus right now, that there might be an outbreak on a campus that is so widespread that the university president says we're shutting it down. Everything. At like team activities, school activities, we're sending everybody home. We're going all online for the rest of the semester. This has gotten beyond what we can control. And in that situation, that means that if this FBS university, hopefully not to be named, but potentially to be named, is going to get just picked out. That's it. Were they on your schedule? Not anymore. And those wrinkles and ripples will give us a college football season in the fall that won't look like all the other ones, but will be one that will have constant reminders of, uh, of the impact the virus is having on society. And the, like the mortality rate in college aged kids is extremely low, but it's not just mortality that we know about or that we can be you know, focusing on when it comes to this, because the thing that's scary is what we don't know, because this is a new disease or a new virus, we don't know what the long-term impact of having it is. Like, we don't even know if having corona, having COVID yet gives you immunity from it going forward yet. There's some, that's, there's some studies that suggest it does. There's some that suggest the antibodies only last a certain amount of time before they disappear from your bloodstream. So that suggests that maybe it's not like a you know permanent thing. But... It's also the case where if you get it and you survive it, maybe in the long run, it makes you more susceptible to just a regular flu. Maybe that makes it more deadly for you going forward. So that's the thing that you have to consider, too, because it can't just be, well, he's 20. The odds of him dying are about, you know, one in 15,000 or even, you know, we're, you know, better odds than that. It's just, OK, he's got it, but he's going to survive it. But what's it going to do to him in five years? Yeah. Which is which is why I'm I'm very very skittish about engaging in this conversation mm-hmm. like in a from like a national perspective. But I also feel like it, I mean I think I, it's probably also healthy to have the conversation. It's also healthy to like be honest and discuss the 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 varying viewpoints on it. Um, like Chip said, I, I I don't envy the decision makers here because, you know, it could be one of those deals where this is much safer than we could ever imagine for college age kids. But the chance that it's not is even look what guys die of heat exhaustion playing football mm-hmm. every year. Football hey, if, football is a risk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I've, but you know, if someone dies of COVID, um, that, you know, who that's going to be on someone's conscience. That's going to be on a, the, you know, that will be based on a decision that an athletic director or president or governor makes. Uh, it's, it's a hard one. Well, we've actually got, again, thanks to Seth, we are going to play some, alternate reality some different timeline we are going to speak in fictional terms where the impact of the virus uh just throws everything up in the air and we don't actually have to debate the merits of whether games should or should not be played across the country we are going to do some covid realignment and for conference realignment junkies this will be fun gonna do that next
the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right. Seth, my man, uh, just a an epic screed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here we go. I mean, guys, this yeah, this this is uh this be, oh go ahead. I'll be back in five minutes. <laughs> okay. are, are you are you gonna read <laughs> Are you going to read the entire thing? Uh, mm, let me see. You I'm just go to the go to the town square. <laughs> just roll it out. it out. All right, Seth. Been listening to the pod for about three years now. Can't get enough of it. I'm a school teacher enjoying the longest summer vacation ever. Naturally, I've had too much time on my hands, and I came up with this idea recently. I wanted to share what you guys think. Personally, I think it could make for a really fun season. All right, here's the big hypothetical COVID response. This would be used for the 2020-21 season. Ignore TV contracts, budgets, money, traditions to a degree, Nick Saban's feelings, and some rules. For the sake of fun, I would like you guys to analyze this COVID conference realignment proposal. All conference realignments are off the table for just one season, then back to normal after the 2020 season. There will be no Power 5 or Group of 5 labels. We're talking all 130 FBS schools divided into 10 13-team regional conferences. The idea being that you cut back on travel, uh, which not only saves some money, prevents some widespread uh, spread and exposure across the country. I get it. I get it. Within these new regional conferences, each school will play all 12 conference mates and have three bye weeks. That keeps everyone on the 15-week schedule and gives an extra bye for health reasons. Because everyone is playing a round-robin schedule, there will be no conference title games. Shout out to the Ivy League. That's very Ivy League style right there. Uh, The CFP committee will then select the 12 best teams for the CFP. There will be no auto bids, just the committee's 12 best teams. And he talks more about the playoffs and uh, this is where it gets funny because he wanted us to break this down. All right. These are the questions we'll be asking. Who is going to the CFP? Which school benefits the most? Which school benefits the least? And any other observations or thoughts? And he broke up the conferences, but the problem is Apple cut him off. (laughs) He has the New England Conference, the Rust Belt Conference, the Tobacco Road Conference, the Smoky Valley Conference, the Cocktail Party Conference, and the Lone Star Conference. But they... Where we draw connections, we will, but uh, our esteemed Tom Fernelli has taken on this challenge as well so that we can have, uh, 
we can have something to discuss, see who benefits most, who benefits least, and pick some winners uh, from each of these leagues. So, Tom, where were the where were the challenges here, and uh, and how do you want to start picking this thing apart? I went like like our dear our dear listener. I went regionally. And although I didn't give such the same regions or such fun names to mine as he did, it's not a rule, but for the most part, that's kind of what I tried to stick to. And it wasn't that difficult, honestly. In fact, it kind of got, there were some spots where there were only like four or five spots where I was like, oh God, where do I put this one compared to this one? And do I really want to separate these guys? But for the most part, it really wasn't that difficult. Uh, And as far as the answer to the question of who benefits the most, I think that team will be found in our very first region. And I'll see if you two can pick it out. I'm going to start with what I'm calling the Northeast region. Are you ready? Ready. Army, Boston College, Barton's Buffalo Bulls, Marshall, Navy, Penn State, Pitt, Rutgers, Syracuse, Temple, UConn, UMass, and West Virginia. Tell me, boys, which school is winning this conference? Nittany Lions are going to the playoffs, baby. <laughs> yeah, but so here's what I'm wondering. So this, so Seth says that the the rules are he picks the best 12 teams, no auto bids. So you could do it like it would make, make, might make sense to do 10 auto bids and then two at larges, in which case Penn State is in. Is that schedule even so give you enough meat <laughs> to get in? <laughs> They got Buffalo on there. That's true. They got <laughs> they Buffalo. Got, Penn got State. Pitt. Yeah, Penn State's out here with the uh, the Clemson or Florida State argument where they're going to be undefeated in like the seven seed at the playoff. So initially when he when he brought up this this uh, format, I was like, this is awesome. This is a great idea. I love it. This would be this the way we do it every year. Um, it could, you know, talk about like flattening the world a little bit in college football and getting to where – you know, my beloved Buffalo Bulls can rise up and be able to recruit whoever they want because they got they're playing on the same field as as Alabama. They they have the the same shot as Alabama or whatever. But the more I think about it, the more it's like all this does is just like create just a boring ass schedule for Penn State. Like just a <laughs> just a season of blowouts. Yeah. It won't be a fun I mean it'll be a fun year for Penn State fans, but it won't be that fun. You'll probably get kind of bored by about week five. Yeah. In the in the twenty twenty season, uh I think that I I'll say among these are the games where Penn State, if it doesn't show up, have a chance to get beat. Pitt, Temple, Navy, West Virginia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Pitt. I I can't remember how how much uh, I've gotten on my Pitt uh, soapbox on this pod, but I'm 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 turning into a a Pitt believer. So I think Pitt Penn State would actually be. Uh, let's let's make that one week twelve conference culmination of the conference. See who wins that one for their for the playoff bid. Hey, because like- Pitt because Pitt may run through the schedule too. Pitt like Penn Pitt- State show up eleven and zero that game Pitt is the team that like college football twitter is just talking itself into no 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 jalen twyman's leading one of the best defensive lines in the country at Pitt. now buying in means that you believe that kenny pickett's going to be able to accomplish things he has not been able to do in the seven years that he's been the quarterback for the pittsburgh panthers but (laughs) that defensive front is sick all right 
Let's move on to the Mid Atlantic, which right. will be Chip's favorite conference. Yeah. Uh, we'll start with Appalachian State, Charlotte, Coastal Carolina, Duke, my beloved East Carolina Pirates, Liberty, Boo. Maryland, NC State, UNC, Old Dominion, Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Wake Forest. Who's winning that's kind that of round? a Yeah, that's a gross conference right there. <laughs> <laughs> like, Somebody's oh, yeah. going nine and four and winning that conference. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to say it's it, co- it comes down to UNC or Virginia Tech, but I don't trust either UNC or Virginia Tech to avoid the losses that could get it into a non-auto-bid scenario for the college football playoff. Could App State find a way to win that conference? Zach Thomas coming back. I know. Sean Clark, yeah. the savior, who's I here. I think App State's finishing in the top four, maybe? But I think there's just a little. I don't know if they could get through all twelve of those games and be like ten and two or eleven and one. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the Tar Heels. Tar Heels win it. I'll or- take the Hokies. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I think the I think Virginia Tech is the is the best bet. But long term, as I as yeah, I've stated on right. here before, okay. North Carolina <laughs> is the juggernaut of the conference. You know it would be. The interesting thing to me for that conference will be because, you know, Maryland's always had a very talented roster. It's just been in the Big Ten East. I wonder if Maryland is like the team that kind of just, you know, finally benefits from not having to face Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State and Michigan State every year. Maybe, but Maryland's had like Maryland through its ACC history had some pretty good teams, too, but never they they occupied. They had a little bit of a ceiling. You know, the fridge got them to the uh, BCS bowl games, but I don't know if they were they were another one of those teams in the classic uh, in the classic ACC fashion there, where if it wasn't Florida State running the show, it was a team that was pretty good, but not going undefeated in a way that you were contending for one of those top two spots. All right, we'll move to the Midwest Conference. Uh, ball State, Illinois. Indiana, Iowa, Iowa State, Kentucky, Louisville, Minnesota, Northern Illinois, Northwestern, Notre Dame, Purdue, and Wisconsin. So we still get to get the game at Lambeau. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, this no fans. A, this probably. would be a fun conference. This is a tough guy conference right here. <laughs> this is uh, – you got Notre Dame, you got Wisconsin, even Northern Illinois is kind of tough guy ball. Northwestern Kentucky is very much Big Ten more so than it is SEC these days. Iowa, Iowa State. I mean, this is that's t- that's a tough conference. That's a tough schedule. I'm going. Yeah, there's like like Ball State. When you look through this, is the only real like okay, they're going to be the patsy, and then maybe Northern Illinois, but even they're going to get get somebody at some point. This I'm taking this is this is the SEC. Of this, uh, of, of this exercise. No, 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 no. This is the 11 a.m. local time kickoff on the uh, Midwest Network. No doubt, there it is not. It is not. It is. It is not um, f- friendly. Friendly to the eye. No, I'm, I'm taking under. Taking four unders a week <laughs> yeah, out of yeah, the yeah. box. Spot. I'm taking Midwest concert. Midwest conference unders all day. I mean, to get Iowa, Kentucky. Oof, that's just <laughs> chills right now thinking about it. 
Iowa, Kentucky, followed by Iowa State, Minnesota, followed by Northwestern, Northern Illinois, followed by Wisconsin, Indiana. I mean, that's just glorious. Yeah. Could finally settle who's the best program in the state of Illinois. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. right, Now now we're heading out west, but not west-west. Air Force, Arizona, Arizona State, Boise State, BYU, Colorado, Colorado State, the New Mexico and New Mexico State, UNLV, Utah, Utah State, and Wyoming. It's kind of an easy conference. Yeah, it's kind of gross, too. It's really not all that different from the Mountain West. It's like, yeah. you know, BYU's back. You add the Arizona schools. So and Utah. For 2020, that's Herm's taking it. That's I would vote Sun Devils. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, Kyle Whittingham would, would I think, run laps around this conference over an extended period of time, though. But not with Jake Bentley and tons of turnover. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, the Jake Bentley experiment may, may open the door for Herm in, uh, in, in this, this season, for sure. Unless Cameron Rising beats him out for the job. I, that, that is apparently a very real possibility. Is Jake Bentley, transferred from South Carolina at Utah, could potentially not win that job because Cameron Rising, the transfer from Texas, apparently isn't bad either. So, Barton, you uh, say that like I would be surprised, but no, I think that's a very real possibility with no sourcing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, who wins uh, the Midwest? Before we keep, I'm going to just keep our, our league champions at least. Oh, Notre Dame. Yeah, I'm yeah. a Notre Dame guy there. All right. Now, that, that, I, I Wisconsin. That, that could that could happen. They, I think Notre Dame wins it at like ten and two. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. I'd, I'd say they win it the most often. Yeah. Okay. Uh, on to the Ohio slash Michigan. Yeah, that was, this was something that was that made this conference really easy. Is when I figured out that there are thirteen FBS schools between the states of Ohio and Michigan. So might as well throw them all together. Akron, Bowling Green, Central Michigan, Cincinnati, Eastern Michigan, Kent State, Miami, Ohio. Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio, Ohio State, Toledo, and Western Michigan. Got it. So Michigan wins, right? <laughs> yes. It, it is. Unanimous. <laughs> it's kind of hilarious to think about, like, Ohio State, you know, they're scheduling um, Oregon, and they got, you know, Michigan into the year, and they got Penn State whiteout game, and then toss them into the COVID conference, and they got to deal with Akron and Bowling Green. <laughs> Central Michigan, Eastern Michigan, Kent State, Miami, Ohio, Toledo, Western Michigan. Like, just stick them in there on a Tuesday night with 700 people in the stands and see how they do. Justin Fields ain't playing a fourth quarter in this conference. (laughs) This will definitely be the conference with, like, the largest disparity between the top three or four teams and everybody else. It'll be like a four-game gap. Yeah, this is a very, very disappointing draw for – if you were pitched – the idea of what this was going to uh, like do, like for example, the the dream for your the Buffalo Bulls that this would be an opportunity to rise up and, and level the playing field. This very very quickly goes from some of these group of five teams in Ohio and Michigan being have nots to being like extra have nots, even with the level playing field conference. If you are trying to pitch this format to me as a fictitious college football commissioner 
you would need to either rework this conference or I'm going to tell you to get the hell out of my office because <laughs> a season where Ohio State plays 10 games where they're 30-point favorites is is going to be a hard sell. I mean, the, Cincinnati even, like Cincinnati is a top-tier program in the Ohio-Michigan conference, and Cincinnati is probably a 17- to 21-point underdog on a neutral field against the Buckeyes in 2020. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. All right. Moving on to the Pacific, we've got Cal, Fresno State, Hawaii, Nevada, Oregon, Oregon State, San Diego State, San Jose State, Stanford, UCLA, USC, Washington, and Wazoo. That's the Pac-12. With some Mountain West mixed in. Yeah. It's, it's a, this is a strong conference. I mean, you're adding Fresno. It's the Pac-12 with Fresno State, San Diego State, Nevada, Hawaii, San Jose State added in. Mm-hmm. And those are, generally speaking, pretty good teams. So even like you, you, USC schedule or whatever, UCLA schedule or whoever, like they're going to have their, their, their non-conference layups anyways, and you're basically just getting them in conference. The, it, some of the Mountain West got split between the West and the Pacific. It feels mm-hmm. like, Mm, outside of Boise State to the West and maybe Air Force, it does feel like the Pacific has some of the stronger teams after that. But you know what? This is a good thing for the Pacific Conference because the Pac-12, as we keep on hearing about how it's so weak, you know, it'd be nice for USC and UCLA and these Pac-12 programs to be in a conference that's considered strong for once in our in our national vernacular. <laughs> Who, still weak, still weak. No. Still, who uh, who ends up winning this? this Oregon. Year, yeah, you got. I would go Oregon. All right. But USC will be competing. I think Washington will be competing. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think Cal will be problematic. Yeah. I think Oregon State will make some noise, more noise than you might expect. But this conference only continues to drive home Barton's belief that the Stanford uh, the Stanford time of is over. Yes. Yeah. Stanford does not get help from this. All right. Now let's go to the uh, the weak ass golf conference. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the Gulf of Mexico conference. <laughs> it is Houston, Louisiana Tech, LSU, Mississippi, Mississippi State, Rice, Southern Miss, Texas A and M, Tulane, Louisiana Lafayette, Louisiana Monroe, UTEP, and UTSA. So you cho- you chose to continue to separate A&M and Texas. You could have given us the Texas-Texas A&M yeah. rivalry once again, and you opted out of it. It came down to this because there are so many Texas schools, but not enough to just give them their own conference. I had to choose between splitting up Oklahoma and Texas or Texas and Texas A&M. I think you made the right decision. So do I. <laughs> Just keep on keep keep that rivalry in the comment section. Yeah, because like geographically, it makes more sense for Texas A and M to be there than it would have been in the next conference we'll be getting to. But as far as who do you who do you think's winning this one this year? I mean LSU. LSU. Yeah. I mean A and M. It could be A and M. I feel like A and M's a solid second place. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, shoot, yeah. even. Ah, uh, mm, I don't know. I've been kind of bullish on Mississippi, so I don't. I don't know how to treat 
Mississippi and Mississippi State until we start to see something on the field. But I mean, even Dana could have Houston up there, like flirt. I don't think Houston's going to beat LSU and probably not Texas A and M, but Houston could win all the rest of those games. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I agree. I think LSU is the Gulf Conference champion. All right, now we'll move on to the Southwest or and the Plains mostly too. But you know, only fits so many letters in this square. Uh, Baylor, Kansas. Kansas State, Nebraska, North Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, SMU, TCU, Texas, Texas State, Texas Tech, and Tulsa. I like this conference. Yeah, this is like a fun conference. Yeah. This is a fun conference. Uh, Kind of feel for Texas State in this one. How many conference games is Kansas going to win this year? (laughs) Finally, they're going to get more than one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean... It's going to be scratch and cloth with Kansas and North Texas and Kansas Tulsa, but I think that Kansas can be Texas who would State. Who favored in Kansas SMU? SMU. SMU. What do you think they'd be favored by? Mm, not much. Not like much. Three or four. Yeah, but they'll be favored. Yeah. SMU's pretty good. Nebraska back into a into a, a Big Twelve ish conference where it belongs. Yeah, I like that a lot. It's got like old. Southwest Conference mixed with old Big Six, Big Seven, Big Eight energy. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this will be the the college football hipster conference. Fit fitting for Austin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, now we move on to the South Atlantic. Oklahoma wins it. Oh yeah. Uh, Oklahoma. For, yeah. Uh, Oklahoma. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. <laughs> and one vote for Oklahoma State. <laughs> All right. South Atlantic, Clemson, FAU, FIU, Florida, Florida State, the Dogs of Georgia, <laughs> Georgia Southern, Georgia State, Georgia Tech, Miami, South Carolina, South Florida, UCF. I'm into this conference. You just stick all these teams in like a in a steel cage in the state of Florida from a recruiting standpoint and say, look, all you guys have fun. This is the SEC conference. (laughs) Oh, man. Because you've got Clemson, Georgia, team that's won a national title, team that played for a national title. You've got UCF, which recently claimed a national title. You've got Florida, which is a playoff contender. We've got Florida State, which is a team with, you know, that's won national title recent history. You've got Miami and all their history. This is the SEC of the new COVID conferences. So Miami and South Carolina live in that great spot where I feel like they're just both Russell Athletic Bowl participants compared to their other <laughs> conference mates. Well, yeah, I'm not picking them to win this year, but they exist. So here's, a, here's a good question then. So who who does win this conference? Uh, Clemson, it's, but I think George is getting one of the at-larges. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like it's so it's just you don't even have to think to put Clemson in the playoffs anymore. It's it's just reactionary, like muscle memory. Like they're just not losing in the ACC. Like they're getting to the playoffs. Whether you think they're going to win a national championship, then you can tell us whether you're an expert or not by by you know debating that whether they make it past the the semifinals and and win a title. But now you have to actually believe in Clemson to say they're going to beat Florida. They're going to beat Georgia. Um. You know, those are probably the only two that really oh, threaten them. But still, oh, it's a big oh two. no, don't overlook the inside job by Jeff Scott and USF here. 
<laughs> the Clemson family rivalry as Jeff so, Scott I, has I, a bunch of former Clemson players and old coaching staff and graduate assistants lined up alongside him down in Tampa, ready to cause some havoc for Dabo and the boys. No, that's all that is, is just that uh, second half, uh, Jeff Scott's going to kind of wave the flag over to, to Dabo and they're going to both tip their cap and everyone's going to put in their backups together and just say, all right, coach, you got me. Like, There's going to be so much mutual respect in that game. <laughs> Running clock. Just, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say Clemson wins, but I mean, Florida, Georgia could do it. Either one of those for sure. All right. Now we're ready for our final COVID conference. The, I called it the Sun Belt, even though there already is a Sun Belt conference, but that was the best geographic description. Alabama, Arkansas, Arkansas State, Auburn, Memphis, Middle Tennessee, Missouri, South Alabama, Tennessee, Troy, UAB, Vanderbilt, and Western Kentucky. Poor, poor USA. <laughs> South Alabama can South Alabama can go and get some wins as they currently exist, but some of those winning opportunities are, are slipping away as we re- relocate them to the Sun Belt. Vanderbilt, MTSU, or Memphis, who finishes the highest, or, or Tennessee. Well, Tennessee. The state of Tennessee, who finished the volunteer the trophy? Yeah, yeah. Tennessee, I think I. I don't know if Memphis playing a schedule that would include Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, would be able to have the same. I don't think it would be bad, but I think that you know it'd be more bruised up and beaten against. And plus, Missouri too is somebody probably shouldn't just write off. So. I think Tennessee's probably better equipped to withstand this schedule than Memphis is. They are for sure. Who? But what about Memphis versus Middle? Memphis, Memphis definitively. Memphis. I would. I would go Tennessee. Memphis. Memphis Vandy. Vandy. Middle. And Middle might be better than Vandy. Middle might be better than Vandy. This year could be worth worth considering. Here, I think Missouri does all right in this league. I think that the. Uh, you know, in terms of some of the other former group of five schools, I'm going to say UAB and Memphis, probably the best suited, right? Uh, I don't think it'd be great for UAB, honestly. Do you think UAB finishes ahead of Vanderbilt? About the same. Do you think UAB finishes ahead of Ar- Arkansas? No. No, I kind of like Arkansas. Okay. I don't, UAB, know whether, I don't know whether that's founded on anything that's that is like <laughs> just, reasonable. Just I like kind of like Arkansas. Kind of like Arkansas. Not not to take away anything that Bill Clark has been able to accomplish with UAB since bringing that program back from the dead. But my metrics last year suggested that UAB was nowhere near as good <laughs> as its record might have suggested. Was it worthy of the uh, vaunted fraudulent label? Uh, I wouldn't. Bestow it upon them officially, but yeah, it was. Fraudulent <laughs> Fernelli. Fraudulent Fernelli. All right. Alabama wins it? I think more times than not, yeah. Okay. So, I think Auburn's the biggest threat, and then Tennessee. So we've got, as our conference winners, Penn State, 
Virginia Tech, though I will stand with my North Carolina vote there, but I was outvoted. Penn State, Virginia Tech, Notre Dame, Arizona State, Ohio State, Oregon, LSU, Oklahoma, though Barton is standing in dissent with his Oklahoma State, Clemson, and Alabama. With our, I guess if we were doing just best available, Georgia, Florida, who else is probably in the mix for an at-large? Auburn's probably going 11 and one and they might anyways, uh, and M might go 11 and one and and M's probably, I mean, A&M ain't going to trip up with anybody on that schedule other than LSU. I think Michigan's contending for an at large because again, we're going to that Ohio Michigan conference where they're not beating Ohio state, but they could beat everybody else in that conference. They might be 11 and one. Hey, if we're going resume, Maybe we're looking at Minnesota or Wisconsin over there in the Midwest Conference, the rugged Midwest. That's right. Okay. So our our playoff would be, let's see, who do we want to take as our at-large? We just want to leave it as the consideration? I think I would say Georgia and um, um, Georgia and um, I don't know. Georgia and Auburn. Georgia and Auburn. <laughs> Georgia. I, I, see that, I think Georgia is a very – although I don't even know how safe Georgia is as an at-large simply because they're in a murderous conference. So it's like I don't know. But I think that based on the rest of the Sun Belt, I, I agree with Auburn – or with Barton that Auburn's got a very good chance of going like 11-1 and one in not winning that conference. And I think Michigan has a chance of going 11-1, and one, but – if you're arguing, then like resume. I think, at that point, I I think, think honestly, honestly, I think Texas A&M would be the at large. Yeah, they've got a realistic shot, but again, resume. See, when you're playing like those go eleven teams. and one, it's they got a couple decent wins. Michigan probably goes eleven and one too, but everyone they play, it's going to be so terrible that the 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 playoff committee may not approve. Uh, I bet Texas A&M is it. Georgia and Texas A&M join Penn State, Virginia Tech, Notre Dame, Arizona State, Ohio State, Oregon, LSU, Oklahoma, Clemson, and Alabama in the college football twelve-team college football playoff. Who wins? Clemson. <laughs> I'm gonna say that. Do you really think Clemson would win that? I don't know. It's we're I mean, pretty like, deep in this. I'm, I'm going to say on the bracket. I don't know what the bracket looks like, man. That's right. <laughs> That's episode two yeah. of the COVID conference. We'll be back on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say Oklahoma. I'm going to I'm going to say um, uh, Ohio State. I'm still going to go Ohio State. I'm going to say Georgia. They're battle-tested from playing in that South Atlantic, and they're ready for it. They're going to run through. Well, it's like the uh, the te- teams from the wild card have made the Super Bowl however many times. It'll be Georgia as the at-large coming in hot, going mm-hmm. one yeah, of those too, because at-large runs. is going to be playing an extra game. Yeah. You'll be more ready. You'll be more battle-tested. Uh, again, these conferences, we'll uh, we'll take a screenshot and we will share them on the Cover Three Podcast Twitter account. We have uh, we have appreciated all of those mailbag questions, and if you want to add yours, uh, question, suggestion, activities uh, to the mailbag, you can do so by leaving a five star review. Seth, thank you very much. This was uh, very very fun to break down, and I apologize. Let's see, let me pull up what we can at least see. So. 
he had a little bit more mixing, right? The New England conference was pretty much was pretty similar where Penn State is in a otherwise pretty easy conference. He went a Rust Belt conference, which is a lot of Ohio and Michigan, if not exclusively Ohio, Michigan, Tobacco Road conference. Uh, same approach with the Mid Atlantic. Uh, Smoky Valley Conference is where it gets interesting, taking Alabama, Auburn, Kentucky, Louisville, Marshall, sort of mixing that in together along with Ole Miss and Mississippi State. A cocktail party conference, all the Floridas and all the Georgias with South Alabama added to it. The Lone Star Conference, he had uh, some Louisiana and some Texas, and then uh, somebody hit the wrap it up light on him. (laughs) I think that is... I. That is, he deserves an award for writing a review so long that Apple was like, dude, no, just nah. give him five stars and say, love the pot, okay? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so thank you for that. And if we uh, are needed to be called into action, Seth, and uh, we are in a position where we need to pitch COVID realignment to the college football power brokers. We will suggest this and uh, we'll find a way to get in touch with you and give you a, a t-shirt or something. We'll take all the money. Does that sound good? I like it. All right. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Fennelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Yes, sir. Producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.